Dear family, friends, and fellow church members, business associates of Hank, we gather here today for a sad and difficult ceremony, the funeral service for your, for your dear husband, your father, your grandpa, a brother and a friend, Hank Venny. It pleased the Lord to take him out of our midst to his home, his eternal home, at age 71, nearly 72. And yet today we do not grieve and mourn here as those who have no hope. On behalf of the members of this church and the other Free Reformed churches in Alberta, we extend our heartfelt condolences to you. With fondness, the members of Monarch FRC will remember Brother Vanny, who was active in the congregation for many years, also serving as a deacon for some time. And now, as we all know, since January 10, he was in the hospital, many health complications, and because of serious illness, spent many weeks in ICU, intubated, and so on. But now he is not here anymore. He is with his Lord. And dear Marianne, your husband of 46 years, who you served and lived with and adored in many ways, is not here anymore. And, and now as a widow, you're going to find many situations where you say, what am I supposed to do now? I wish Hank were here, then I could ask him. You told me yesterday that your wedding text was from James chapter 1, verse 5. And I believe that that wedding text is going to become more and more real to you in the future. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives liberally to all who ask. Do that. Ask God. Wendy and TJ, Mike and Amber and Vanessa, your natural father is no more. But from everything I've heard about this man in the last two days, and I didn't know him before, but I believe that he taught you to seek your heavenly father. That father whom the Lord Jesus taught us to call in his name, our father who art in heaven. I think of grandchildren, Alicia and Casey and Cohen and Millie. Grandpa Hank is no more. And now today you may be sad and scared even because everything is so uncertain and unknown when it comes to death. But you may take your sadness and your fear to the God of Grandpa Hank. That God is still the same. And he promises that we would cast our burdens on him. He will care for us. The days ahead, dear family, are going to be difficult. Because life goes on, as you know. It goes on all around us. And there will be this, this empty spot in your family circle. And in this church family and in the community. But remember, our Lord is always in control. He's still on the throne. He makes no errors. And you will need each other as you go forward. But above all, you need the presence and the blessing and the strength and the comfort 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has promised his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has said, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. That means even now. Today, I may direct you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who sends his Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and that Holy Spirit always testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, I would invite the congregation to sing from Psalter number 53, verses 1, 3, and 5. You should have it in the pamphlet that was handed out. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And also reading from John 14, verses 1 through 4. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. As far the reading of, of Scripture at this time. Let's now call on the name of the Lord our God in prayer. Lord God Almighty, our gracious Father in heaven, in your goodness and in your providence, in your eternal decree, we are set apart here this morning for the funeral of a dear husband, father, grandfather, brother and friend and brother in the Lord. Lord, you spared him for almost 72 years. And now, O Father in heaven, we pray that you will give comfort and strength to Marianne, now a widow. Lord, let her know that you are always near, that though she may be lonely many times, yet by grace she is not alone. Christ Jesus is near. Give comfort and strength to the children, the in-laws, Wendy and TJ, Mike and Amber and Vanessa. Lord, remember them as they have lost their father. And you alone, O Lord, are a heavenly father. Give them your grace to lean hard on you. Give comfort and strength to the grandchildren, Alicia, Casey, Cohen and Millie. As they miss their, their grandpa Hank so much. And Lord, as they perhaps are sad and afraid in these moments, we, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will comfort them and take their fears away through the working of the Holy Spirit and causing them to look to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Give comfort and strength to brothers and sisters and in-laws. Uphold them, O oh Lord God. Give them a comforting sense of your presence even today. As Mr. Vanee's friends and church family and acquaintances, you are reminding us of the truth that man goes to his long home. The mourners go about the streets, dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. We know from the Scriptures, O oh Lord, that we are all the same by nature. We are all sinners who need the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. Lord, will you teach us today the, the shortness of life, the reality of God's wrath against sin, the reality that we shall all die and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And 
From your word we know, O Lord, that there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Saved by God's free grace in the way of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And unsaved by our own choices, willfully neglecting Christ Jesus. We know from your word that there are only two ways to live either to God's honor and glory or to ourselves, that there are only two ways to die, in the hope of life in Jesus or in hopelessness. Oh, dear Father, we pray that you would use Mr. Venny's death and funeral for the benefit of us all, for believers to strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to cause us to look longingly for the day of our death when the struggle with sin will be over forever, when that wicked old fleshly nature is no more and we may be eternally with God and with Jesus. O oh Lord, hasten that day. Use Mr. Vanee's death and funeral also for unbelievers. Send your Holy Spirit to convict and convince us of sin so that perhaps for the first time in our lives we may realize we have a soul to lose. And I'm living in sin, despite being baptized, perhaps, that I'm without Christ and without hope, being a stranger from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Lord, open our eyes today, we pray, to see ourselves as Scripture shows us. Open our eyes to see God as Scripture shows you to be. And open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the mediator, the only one between God and man. Lord, we pray that you would bless the passage from your word that we hope to meditate on together. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in speaking and in hearing so that we may glorify the Son of God. O Lord Jesus Christ, draw all people to yourself. You are the good shepherd who knows his sheep. Open our ears to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning so that we may, by grace, profess God is our refuge. Lord, help us, we pray. Take away all of our sins. Blot them out in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time there will be a eulogy. I would ask Ed to come forward, please. suggested that I might need this mic. Um, let me know if I do. I'm going to set it down. I think I can project.
then Sperry, New Holland. Hank was at McLeod Farm Center then, and when lunchtime rolled around, he invited me to come home with him for lunch. As you might expect, this was a surprise to Marianne, as she was home with a three-plus-year-old Wendy and a one-plus-year-old Mike, and likely the last thing she needed was an unexpected luncheon guest. But she dealt with it, and here I am, and from that day forward, we became better and better friends. Now, this is probably not a good sign, because I'm going to deviate from my prepared remarks already, but as I was preparing this morning to come to Hank's service, I was getting dressed, and uh, I remember Hank telling the story many times, and Marianne dressed him very, very well. He would go to Gentleman Three's and see old Scotty there to get him some clothes, and of course, nothing ever fit Hank. And he would always remark to Scotty, I thought the name on the store said this was menswear. Isn't there any men's clothes here? <laughs> I've never received any bigger honor in my life than to have been asked to deliver this eulogy for Hank. During the years we were friends, Hank and I <clears throat> were business partners for 10 of those years, business associates and friends for all of them. We traveled many locations in the world together. We shared countless times together, including camping, hundreds of lunches and dinners, marriages of our children, arrivals of our grandchildren, just to name a few. Hank and Marianne helped me through a very difficult in my life, very difficult time in my life a number of years ago. And so I think I have a very unique perspective to deliver this today and to echo and relay some of the feelings and words that I've had communicated to me, shared with me, as well as my own thoughts about Hank since this journey started for Hank and his family a little more than eight weeks ago. When asked, Hank liked to tell people he was born in Wetasquin, Alberta on May the 18th, 1950, six weeks after his parents and family arrived in that area, having just emigrated to Canada. He started out by saving his family money, as there was no immigration fee for him, and so he arrived FOB Wetasquin. For you younger folks, that means free on board. <clears throat> Hank was a hard worker with an infectious personality and sometimes a little bit of a stubborn streak. Some folks never saw much of that. Others, however, like his grade seven teacher, saw some of that which resulted in Hank breaking out of school at the end of grade seven. Enough of that business for him. Then on to work where he could actually make a contribution. He went on to work for Den Boone's Butcher Shop and was working there with Dick Poles. He lived for a couple of years with his sister and brother-in-law, Wilma and Bill Van Driesen, and he often related how much he enjoyed this time with them. Wilma and Hank were very close and he often spoke of how much he thought of Wilma. When his mom and dad moved into Fort McLeod in 1968, he moved back home with them and lived with them and youngest brother Jim. Hank joined his older brothers in the livestock business in the mid-1960s. First as part of Vanny Livestock, driving truck, then later as part of McLeod Farm Center working with and selling farm equipment primarily the New Holland product, which stuck in his blood forever. In about 1994, Hank moved into Lethbridge and took over the New Holland dealership 
which is now known as Vanny Farm Center. Then in 1997, Hank and Marianne moved their home from Fort McLeod into Lethbridge. Hank's work ethic bore fruit yet again as he excelled in Lethbridge and made the dealership what it is today. Hank retired from Vanny Farm Center in January 2018 after a long career in the farm equipment industry. Hank really struggled with the decision as to when to retire, when to call it enough. It was because he enjoyed every minute he spent at the dealership with his work family. He considered all of his workmates to be close friends and respected them for making the choice to work with him. He valued each and every one of his customers as well and wanted to ensure they continued to be cared for the way he had cared for them. Which is exactly why the decision was made so much easier when Trevor Brady came into the picture. Hank considered Trevor the perfect fit. He was the individual that Hank knew could replace him and care for the things the way he did. He knew that with Trevor and his staff that his beloved customers would be looked after the way he had intended. Hank's family has stated that they very much think Trevor is a younger version of Hank. Though very much a quiet man, Hank served numerous times on dealer council and so interacted with the suits that ran the organization where he made a lasting impact. As all of you will know, Hank was many things and many words are used to describe him. He was a man of faith, he was gentle, firm, loyal, powerful, honest, respectful, understanding, meticulous, committed, trustworthy, loving with a huge heart and a mind and a memory like a steel trap, never forgetting any important dates. Much to the chagrin of some here today that he inadvertently made look bad from time to time with his thoughtfulness and memory of important dates. I'll not mention any names just to protect their identity, so TJ, you can relax. <laughs> Hank exhibited humility, dedication, and a very solid work ethic, tenacity, and just plain and simple grit. He didn't often see it, but he could also show his teeth when the situation called for it. Hank was a proud man, not proud the pompous, self-absorbed type, but proud of his family, proud of his work, proud of the work his folks and brothers and sisters had done before him to establish their name and reputation. He was very serious about his reputation and his word was his bond. He made it known that he said what he meant and he meant what he said, and that was to provide a premium level of service to everyone he worked with. This, among other things, is Hank's legacy. Remember what I said about him showing his teeth. Hank has been described as a vault, always kept his cards close to his chest. Anything told to Hank in confidence remained that way. Ask any one of his kids, they'll confirm that. 
I remember witnessing these kinds of occurrences, and I'm certain there are others here will you, that will tell you this as well. That if you were questioning Hank about anything, that either one, he didn't have the right to divulge, or two, that he felt you had no business asking, he would respond, what are you, a policeman? What business is it of yours? It was the same thing if Hank was questioned about what something of his might cost. His response would be with a somewhat stern look on his face, I didn't ask you to pay for it. In addition to knowing he would keep your confidences, he would provide you calm, reasoned advice if you ask, but always with the disclaimer that this is my opinion through my old eyes. Now you make your choices through your own eyes. Again, many of you here will know that Hank and Marianne never rushed into any decisions. They've always taken their time, made thoughtful, reasoned, and taken very meticulous steps when making decisions. However, there was a time early on in their lives, in approximately October of 1974, when they kind of just met, that they embarked on a major life-altering decision and threw caution to the wind. And 11 months later, Marion on August the 15th, 1975. As it was suggested to me, this was probably the only time in these two respective lives that they ever made such a big decision that quickly. Obviously a very good decision, because in 1977, Wendy arrived, in 1979, Mike, and Vanessa in 1987. Hank and Marianne raised three ch children who have grown into very fine, honest, hardworking, respectful adults. And two of the three of them have in turn married their soulmates, TJ for Wendy and Amber for Mike, and have provided Hank and Marianne with four grandchildren that absolutely have stolen the hearts of Grandpa and Grandma. Indeed, these same four grandchildren, Alicia, Casey, Cohen, and Millie provided Hank with a level of flexibility that he never thought possible. I never knew Hank to practice yoga, but each of these four grandchildren had Grandpa wrapped firmly around their middle finger, a yoga move impossible to duplicate and a position that Hank enjoyed immensely. It is no secret that Hank loved his family. They were his world, and I can tell you that having shared many lunches, telephone calls, and visits with Hank, the discussions of his children, and in later years his grandchildren, occupied the lion's share of our visits. He was so immensely proud of every one of you, and anyone who ever spent more than five minutes with him knew that. In preparing for today, I was fortunate to have had several letters and stories shared with me. In fact, I've probably never read so many text messages. Wendy, I would like to read some excerpts from a letter Hank received after he retired from Vanny Farm Center. This young man spoke to Hank in this letter, first as a child coming into his business with his dad when buying parts, and concludes with references to working with Hank as an adult. And I quote, no one ever complained about coming in because they knew out of the corner office you'd come to give a slap on the back 
and a firm handshake. And this morning I heard that alluded to again as a hank shake, with a huge smile that would captivate the customer. I will take that with me forever. It really shaped how I work with people, not only in the workplace, but in the field of work I am in. This letter I'm writing here today isn't just to reminisce about the dealership, it is a thank you from me to you. I never learned so much from someone in my life, and I mean that. I took a lot from my experiences at the dealership, and it really helped me moving forward in my life. I still eat, sleep, and breathe New Holland, which would make Hank really happy. W working at Van E's wasn't just a job, it was a passion you must carry with you. It taught me that when you get up in the morning to give it your all and be real with the people. <clears throat> it's not just about shaking hands, it's about building relationships and becoming one with the customer. In another excerpt, I will never forget the day I sold my very first piece of equipment. I was never so happy ever in my life. It made me smile from ear to ear. And I remember you saying, boy, but where's the next one? You always had a laugh. Selling for you was always fun because you made it exciting. And finally, he writes, I've taken a lot from Vanny Farm Center, but the best thing about working there was working with you. You've helped me to get to where I am today. I have nothing but good things to say with all of my heart. I thank you. You're the best boss slash mentor I ever had. Another associate of Hank's from the farm center said, Hank's giving nature was always evident when children came into the store. A child rarely left without a toy. I was never sure whose smile was bigger, the child's or Hank's. The stories about Hank and giving children toys could go on for hours. In large part, he was just a big kid himself. This is only a small glimpse of Hank Van E. Many of you have your own stories and experiences of Hank, and I encourage you to share them with the family. He would not have enjoyed any of this fuss about him, and I can hear him saying in my ear, oh, go on. <laughs> Hank never wanted a big funeral or a funeral luncheon. He told Wendy, nobody likes funeral lunches, and that everybody biz is busy. Oops, just a minute. Everybody's busy. Nobody wants to bother with things like that. Let them go back to work. That was Hank. So in keeping with his wishes, there's no lunches today. Hank was ready and comfortable with the eventuality of his passing. I know he would not have wanted it to occur this soon because he had a lot of things yet to do. Places to see, adventures to, ha to have, but he was ready. We discussed it many times over the years, and we agreed about the only certainty in life was that we knew none of us were getting out of this alive. Hank wasn't a saint, and he certainly never professed to be one. He was a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, he was a lot of things to a lot of people, yet a very simple and humble man, a man of faith, a loving husband, a loving father, a great grandfather, and a friend. We love you, Hank, and until we meet again.
Thank you, Ed. This time we turn to the Word of God once again, and we'll be reading Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This is God's Word to us this morning, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamo. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in half. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. want us to pause for a few moments by the opening words of Psalm 46. Our text contains four words. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Think about that word, God. Who is God? In Psalm 46, he's called the Lord of hosts. He's called the God of Jacob, the Most High. Many, if not most, of the people in this world say there is no God. You know what this God says of such people? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It reminds me of a story of a man who lived his whole life believing there is no God. And he believed that so strongly that he had a plaque made to hang up in his bedroom. And that plaque said, God is nowhere. God is nowhere. And the man came to die and that bed became his deathbed and he was staring at that plaque for a long time and he began to realize how utterly hopeless life must be if God is nowhere. And a little girl came to visit him who has, was just learning how to read. And she looked at that sign and she said, Oh, look, God is now here. That's what she read. He simply read, God is nowhere. But, and she was right. 
He was wrong. God is now here. Who is this God? He's our creator. He created you and me in his own image. In fact, our first parents, Adam and Eve, walked with God, it says in the Bible. They were in perfect harmony with their God. And and this God says that there are no other gods. He is the only one. He asked that question in Isaiah 44. Is there a God beside me? There is no God. I don't know of any. This God is awesome in His majesty and in His glory. The Bible says the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. And the prophet Isaiah speaks over and over again of His glory and His majesty. And in the New Testament, it says to the only wise God and Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. This God is so huge. And we are so puny. Our Bible says that God has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand. That means if if you hold your hand like this and there's a little hollow there in, in your palm that God holds the waters of the universe in that space. That same text says that he measures out heaven with a span. Now a span is the distance from your the end of your pinky to, to the point of your thumb. Now some of us have large Hands, not small ones like mine, but God's hand is so huge, beloved, that He measures heaven like that with His, with his hand. That huge God, that huge majestic God, has something to say to us, to you and me this morning, you and me who were made in His own image, and He says to us from Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul that sins it shall die. And that means that each of us must die because each of us sin. And sin means to miss the mark of perfection, that the standard that God has set for our lives. And death in in the Scriptures is threefold. It's physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. And physical death is something that we witness these days. The separation of a person's soul and body. That's what's happened to Brother Hank. His soul has departed. And some of you said it this morning. You you can see it. It's not there anymore. But spiritual death means separation of your soul from God. And that's much worse. Eternal death means eternity in hell. Wanting to die and yet never dying. That's horrible. But you know that same God who says the soul that sins it must die, that same God says to you and me, you can be saved from spiritual death. You can be saved from eternal death. You can have spiritual life again and eternal life. And we say, well, how? How can that be? Look to me, he says, 
and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So by looking to Him, that means through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can escape death. Because, as it says in the New Testament, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This God, the the God of whom we speak this morning, the God of Psalm 46, is a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. and, And He must punish sins against Him. His perfect justice demands that. Death for sinners, the death sentence must be upheld. And yet, the Bible says of this God in Micah chapter 7, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes by the transgressions of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because this God delights in mercy. That's the kind of God we have in the Bible. He delights in mercy. How can this God delight in mercy? If He must punish sin, how can He pardon sin? If He must uphold His justice, how can He pass by the transgressions of anyone? Well, you see, this God, He has thought out a way whereby He can be just, And at the same time, justify sinners. That means declare them righteous. Which sinners, you ask? Well, all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh on the cross right outside of Jerusalem, but made alive by the Spirit. That's the God of whom we hear this morning. So that's the first word of our text, God. And the second word is, is. God is. And unlike a former president, we don't debate about what that word is means. God is. That means God exists. God is real. And like that little girl said, God is now here. He is now here. The Bible says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he exists. Otherwise, we wouldn't come to him, would we? If we didn't believe God existed, we would never come to Him. So come to Him. This Bible says He is. He is real. He exists. And this God invites you and me to come to Him. He commands us to to repent of our sins and to believe the precious gospel of His Son. And when we do, When we repent of our sins, when we we turn from our own sinful ways and turn to this God in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe that gospel, then we do that with a certain knowledge. We hold for truth everything God has revealed in the Bible. All the things that He writes there about 
sinful, wicked old me. And all the things that he writes in his Bible about God himself and how he must be just and punish me for my sins and and how I can't save myself, that if I am to be saved, it will be God himself who saves me. And he does that when I believe in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That Son of God who came to save sinners like me and sinners like you. When we trust in His Word and there's no other hope and no other expectation when I trust Him to be my Savior and my Lord, then I receive an assured confidence that 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 Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross not just for other sinners, but for me too. And then it can join those who say from the bottom of their hearts, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. See, by God's amazing grace, Hank Fanny could say this. God is our refuge. God is my refuge. Because that little word, our, it's only three letters. But it's, it's an inclusive word, isn't it? Our refuge, it's also exclusive. Included in that word are all those who believe the gospel, all those who depend on this God alone, who trust Him, who love Him. And why do they love Him? Because, as the Bible says, we love Him because He first loved us. And included are all those who are chosen from before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. But that little word, Our is also an exclusive word. It excludes all those who choose to go their own way, who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who who refuse the grace that freely offered in the gospel account. So where where do you sit this morning in regard to this little word, our? Does it include you? Or does it exclude you? God is our refuge, our text says. A refuge that that is a safe place to, to which we flee from danger. A safe haven, a shelter, a hiding place. It's the root word of the word we use for refugee. People fleeing from danger, seeking refugee status. Think of all the hundreds of thousands of people fleeing from the Ukraine right now. Refugees, their life is on the line. They need to find a safe place to go. Well, this text says God is our refuge. You know that we are all in a most dangerous place, in a threatening situation. Because we're all sinners. And so, by nature, we are all in danger of hellfire. We're all facing the death penalty, God's death penalty. But the sovereign Lord comes and He offers us pardon. He offers us a stay of execution. This God offers us hope and and He sets it before us in His Word, in the preaching of His Word, and that He offers it freely to all death row inmates. You and me. There's only one way to receive that pardon. And that's to accept God's terms, which is faith alone, 
in Christ alone. And millions of prisoners have been set free. The prison doors have been thrown open wide. This God makes a promise in Hebrews chapter 6. It says that by two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, we might have strong consolation. And that hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, even Jesus. That's the anchor of the soul. Have you, by faith, fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before you in Christ Jesus? If you have, then you can say with confidence, God is my refuge. And then God will also prove to be our refuge and strength. Strength right now, dear family, you don't feel like you have much strength to go on, but God is our refuge and strength. The strength to go through times of great, deep afflictions. The strength to stand firm in the face of trouble. Strength to live as a widow, enduring emotional pains. Strength to speak well of God, even when things seem so wrong. God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. When we say to believers, sometimes we greet each other, the Lord be with you, we say. The Bible says He is with you. We say it as as a best wish, but the Bible says it's not just a wish. It's true. A very present help in trouble when you need him most. And see, then the rest of Psalm 46 will be true for you too. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then in the New Testament says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also give us all things? All things he gives to his people. And this God is glorified in the salvation of sinners. He says, be still and know that I am God. And this is a time to be doing that, isn't it? To to be still and know. That he is God. And it, that, this doesn't mean that we stop all of our activity and just stand still for the rest of our lives. No. But what's really behind it is that, is that opposition to God should stop. And that we recognize God's sovereignty and God's glory and God's greatness and acknowledge that sovereignty over all things, over everything. In our lives and and in this world. And as we come to know God's glory and His greatness, then we stop debating with Him and opposing Him. And we submit to the Lord. It's like, be quiet and know that I am God. Sometimes we tell people, just back off a little bit, right? And that's sort of, that's kind of what this means too. Back off and know that I am God. Not just, shh, be quiet, but don't debate with Him. 
Don't disagree with this God. Acknowledge that I am the one and only God. Know that I am God. Jonathan Edwards writes that, The bare consideration that God is God may well be sufficient to still all objections and opposition against the divine sovereign. God is God. So no more objections from us. Let us submit to this God. There's also a severe warning in Psalm 46 for all those who who refuse this God, who choose to go their own way, who persist in living apart from God and from His Word and, and from Jesus. The day is coming, if that's you, the day is coming that you will bow before Him. I will be exalted, He says, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yes, those who love the Lord God by His grace, can glory in the exaltation of God. God's triumph will extend throughout the whole earth, and everyone will know, He says, that I am God. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. This God will be exalted in the salvation of sinners by His sovereign grace. But this God will also be exalted by the condemnation of the wicked. That's true, too, of this God. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess that I am the Lord God. If you're here this morning, outside of Christ, if all of this is foreign and strange to you, then I urge you, don't throw away your soul for the scraps of this world. It's not worth it. But bow before this God. Bow before this King today in repentance for your sins and and believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Then you too will be able to say, God is my refuge. Marianne, children and grandchildren, hear the gospel from 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares on Him, on this Jesus, because He cares for you. Hear it also from Matthew chapter 11. That's not only for this this family, but for all of us. Come to me, says Jesus, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Amen. We sing in response to God's Word, number 203, verses 1, 2, 4, and 5.
just noticed we skipped one song, but we'll catch up in a moment here. Let's first pray together. O Lord God, our dear Father, we thank you, O Lord, for the precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may hear proclaimed even at a funeral service. Lord, we know that there is hope. We know that there is great expectation for those who trust in you alone, who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, O Lord, that that may be true for all of us here and for those who already do. Lord, that we may grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those who do not yet, that this may be the day, O Lord, that they come to their senses and and believe this gospel and repent of their sins. Lord, we pray again for for this dear family, the Vani family, Marianne and her children and grandchildren. Lord, remember them now as we go to the cemetery for the internment. Lord, grant there too your comfort, your nearness, your blessing on us. Lord, take care of each one of us here. If safety on our way home afterwards, bless us with your presence and your grace. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we'll stand to sing Abide With Me. And then I'll ask someone from the funeral uh, service to come forward, make one announcement, and after that we'll sing one more song, Amazing Grace. So right now, abide with me, we'll sing it standing.
Thank you very much. On behalf of the family, we'd like to thank you for your attendance here today. And just a reminder that there will be a private family graveside taking place immediately following the services. Thank you.